This is a Timmet podcast. This podcast is part of the series On the Marge. This episode is part of the second series. Chronologically, it falls somewhere before episode 35. The title of this episode is So Close and Yet So Far. So Close and Yet So Far. Jenny will be here any time to drive you over to the Guild. It's not that far. After that, you can find your own way over whenever you need to go. Tom was a guest director for the next play at the Guild. Our walnut crescent bed and breakfast was only ten minutes' walk from the community theatre, and Tom was not the first guest director to stay here. Uh, Jenny works with Chuck on government projects sometimes, I explained. She's Alex's indoor soccer coach, and she and I do yoga together. She helps out at the Guild, and I I think she might be the stage manager this time around, or, or maybe the assistant stage manager. I'm not sure. And right then, Jenny pulled up in her car. Hi, Mara, she said when I met her at the door. Hi, Jenny, said Alex, running down the stairs. So I made the introductions. Jenny, this is Tom from Hamilton. Tom, this is Jenny from the Guild. They both stared at each other in wide-eyed silence. Finally, Jenny said, Thomas? Thomas Proctor from Brandon? Uh, Sorry, the name didn't ring a bell. Tom grinned and leaned forward to hug Jenny. When they pulled apart, he said, Jenny? Jenny, you were definitely Jennifer in those days. They hugged again, and then Jenny said, And you were Thomas, not Tom. We were definitely more serious then. Alex and I watched this exchange, surprised and mystified. So, um, what's going on, anyway, I asked. Oh, we went to high school together in Brandon, Manitoba. Uh, Just grade 12, I guess, explained Tom. My dad was in the army at Shiloh, and I took the bus into school every day in Brandon. And I grew up in Brandon, spent my whole life there, till I went off to university, said Jenny. We were in the high school play together, uh, Midsummer Night's Dream. Remember that? Oh, kiss me through the hole of this vile wall, said Tom. I kiss the wall's hole, not your lips at all, replied Jenny, giggling. <laughs> I don't think we understood what that was all about at the time. But we sure had fun, and the party after the play was really something, too, said Tom. Oh, yeah, I remember that, said Jenny. But what happened to you after high school? I mean, I went off to engineering at the U of M in Winnipeg. You just disappeared. Oh, my dad got out of the army that year and decided to move back to where he had grown up, to Hamilton. He had brothers and sisters there, and I didn't really know what to do, so I just went along. I ended up at McMaster in Arts and then taught school for a while, then a master's and a PhD. I guess our high school play was a formative experience because they ended up teaching drama at McMaster. So Jenny and Tom drove off to the Guild to get the next play underway. Coincidentally, a 21st century musical version of A Midsummer Night's Dream. I just hoped that Tom wasn't as weird as the last old friend of Jenny's who'd stayed at our bed and breakfast. We'd finally figured out that that guy, Leo, was an ex-con who'd done time for murder and possibly worse. He was really twisted. Luckily, he left before anything really bad happened here, but I'm sure Jenny was hurt by the whole experience. Anyway, Tom was at our place for the next month, and we saw a lot of him as he went back and forth to the Guild. We saw a lot of Jenny, too and she seemed to look after the visiting director more than the stage manager really needed to. Or was she the assistant stage manager? I suppose it didn't really matter. In any case, she and Tom spent a lot of time together. Near the end, Tom stopped showing up for breakfast. Jenny would drive him back to our place on her way to work in the morning. Maybe play practice lasted really late, I tried explaining to Alex. Alex just rolled her eyes and said, 
I know what's going on. And she probably did. How do five-year-olds know these things? Finally, the play got underway and the guest director's gig was over, so Tom went back to Hamilton. But as time went on, Chuck reported that Jenny was taking vacation to go to Ontario. Maybe Hamilton, he thought. Then we met Jenny and Tom hand-in-hand at the farmer's market here in Whitehorse. And then Jenny started working remotely for a week or two here and there, which was unusual because she was an assistant deputy minister. Jenny stopped coming to yoga and a new coach took over Alex's soccer program. So Jenny and Tom seemed to be seeing each other, even though Hamilton was a long way from Whitehorse. In midsummer, we met them in Dawson, where they had just come off a two-week canoe trip, and twice I met Jenny at the airport when I went to pick up B&B guests. Hamilton, she explained. Other than that, we didn't see much of Jenny. I was glad that things were working out for her, though. (laughs) Finally, Jenny was the sort of woman who really deserved to have someone special in her life. Uh, Someone nice. Someone like Tom. So I was surprised about a year after Tom had first stayed at our B&B when Jenny showed up at yoga again. How's Tom? I asked cheerfully. A shadow crossed Jenny's face. Oh, he's fine, but, but, but we're not a thing anymore. She explained it to me over coffee at Baked. She needed to talk. She hadn't told anybody else the whole story. Well, it's just so hard in Whitehorse to find anybody smart and interesting, and I was starting to give up hope. Then, just by chance, Tom appeared at your place. We hadn't been close friends during grade 12. We were just in the play together, not much more than that. But he was a nice guy then, and he's still a nice guy today. So we hit it off really well, and it was fun working together on the guild play. But, but then he went back to Hamilton. We did video chats back and forth on Facebook, and we found that the attraction just wasn't fading. So I went to visit him in Ontario, and things got even better. He came here, and it was just wonderful. One of us ended up traveling every four or five weeks to see the other. And that wasn't easy, because it meant three planes through Vancouver and Toronto every time. But we kept at it. He had everything I'd always looked for in a man, Jenny continued. We could talk about anything. It didn't matter if we agreed or argued. It was, it was always so stimulating. Or we could sit quietly and talk about nothing. That was really powerful, too. He was always so spontaneous and kind of like a little boy in his wonder and enthusiasm for life. And with him, I could let myself go, too, something I really haven't done for a long time. I realized then, with Tom, that I'd been on my guard for years, afraid to open myself to anyone. Maybe that comes from being an ADM in the government. The boss always has to be cool, calm, and aloof, and have all the answers. So it sounds all so perfect, I observed. What happened? Well, nothing happened, replied Jenny. It's, it's, it's just that with, well, with every other guy I've been with, we eventually discovered some major disconnects. Like, I don't know, they drank too much, or they were into guns and ATVs with way too much enthusiasm that I could never share. Or maybe way too much into other women. Or guys found me threatening. One guy thought we should be together 24 hours a day and was really disturbed when I read a book alone or went to yoga. In any case, with every other guy, it always ended because we wanted to see less of each other. Breaking up was a way to make that happen. With Tom, we wanted to see more of each other. But we couldn't find a way to make that happen. I didn't quite understand. Let me explain, said Jenny. Running back and forth across Canada every couple of weeks was okay for a while but long distance wasn't working for either of us. We both wanted to be with each other, but we were apart more than we were together. And in those times apart, there was so much we wanted to share. Music, supper, small victories and setbacks, decisions, morning coffee, clouds, sunrises, smiles, soft caresses. So we 
talk about how to fix that. He could move to Whitehorse. I could move to Hamilton. Or we could both move to Brandon. <laughs> yeah, okay, the Brandon idea was a silly throwaway. You always have to have a throwaway. And neither of us took that one seriously. Jenny continued. Yes, Tom had been to Whitehorse and experienced every season here. But he never really considered moving here. He has many ties back in Hamilton. Three adult children, brothers and sisters, lots of cousins, nieces, and nephews. They're a large family and, and really close. It's a rare week when Tom doesn't spend some time with one or two of them. And he's the family historian now that he's semi-retired and spends a lot of time going around to different archives and graveyards, hunting down old records. His people have been in the area for more than 150 years. So family is really important to him. And he finds the winters here too cold and dark. I mean, I find the winters cold and dark too, but, but for me it's not a bad thing. It's just, just the way things are. Jenny sighed. So, I looked long and hard at moving to Hamilton. Tom has a quite comfortable condo right downtown, close to restaurants and theaters. Everywhere we went, people knew him, and the excitement and life downtown were very important to him. But, but that wasn't my life, and I was an outsider to that whole scene. I met his family. His kids were nice, and his brothers and sisters and cousins were polite. They all made a real effort to make me feel welcome but they always ended up talking about other relatives and old stories I didn't know or care about. They were his family. And while we got along okay, they weren't really people I'd go out of my way to hang out with. Jenny paused and took another sip of coffee before going on. I guess the thing that really got me was the forest. Sure, there are parks in Hamilton and the Royal Botanical Garden. Tom realized I was missing the trees, so one day he took me out to see the forest. We went to a place called a conservation area. We had to drive to get there. Well, lots of traffic. We parked in a paved parking lot, and we put money into a machine for parking. And yes, the forest was nice, but it wasn't all that big, and it seemed, well, awfully organized. And it was a conservation area, a place that someone had had the rare foresight to conserve when they built the rest of urban Ontario around it. Buildings and roads with small spots of conservation area forest in the middle. I couldn't help but think of how that was just the opposite of Yukon, where we have forests as the default, with small areas of buildings and roads in the middle. Jenny shook her head. I have no family in Whitehorse to hold me here, but I do have the forest that starts at the corner of my street, and there's a light on the mountains and the Yukon River flowing by. For me, Yukon is a land of change and contrast. That's so much different than living in a comfortable 20th floor condo in downtown Hamilton. Too much different, I guess. Jenny was winding down. So with every other guy, there were major differences that drove us apart, and we were sick of each other at the end. With Tom, it's just that there are major differences that prevent us from getting together, not something that pushes us apart. We loved our time together and loved each other, and very much wanted it to last, but just couldn't figure out a way of making that happen. It just seemed so weird and frustrating and unexpected and kind of unfair. But that's it. I felt really bad about Jenny and Tom. It did seem unfair that two people who loved each other couldn't find a way to be together. But there was Yukon in between them. So what is it about Yukon? People from outside don't understand it. Yukoners understand it very well, but can't easily describe it. I thought about this a long time. Jenny was on the right track, I think, when she said that Yukon is all about change and contrast. We go between light and dark, hot and cold, valleys and mountains, isolation and crowds, well, okay, small crowds, 
and that continual variation affects us all in our daily lives and decisions. At the Walnut Crescent B&B, when we get up in the morning, we have to know the indoor and outdoor temperatures and the weather for the day and our schedules to decide whether to light the wood stove or plug in the car. Tom, like many outsiders, was convinced that Yukon is too cold and dark, like as if the cold and dark are limits that prevent some activities. For Yukoners, the cold and dark are just factors in planning what we do. Which clothes to dig out of the hall closet? We decide what to wear and what to carry based not only on the weather, but also for heading downtown or up the mountain and what conditions will be like in 12 hours. And what happens if things don't go as planned, like so we don't freeze or starve? And it's also the people in a small town. Sure, we know our neighbors on Walnut Crescent, but also a lot of people in the rest of Yukon too. People we work with, people we've canoed with, people we've hiked or done yoga with. And more than that, most of the people we meet in any day over and over are familiar, even if we don't know them, because we see them so often. Like the bagel man, who I see several times a week. I know he plays a trumpet, but I don't know much else about him. Or the passport man. I don't even know his name, but he's very friendly and we always wave and say hi. And everyone seems to know everyone else. I think the common thread through all this is connectedness. Yukoners are closely connected with the weather, with the land, and with each other. And that connectedness is important in everyday life. I think that living in a 20th floor condo in downtown Hamilton would be pretty much the opposite of connected. Certainly the weather and the land would be largely irrelevant. You probably wouldn't know many of your neighbors, and family aside, the large pool of people you meet as you step out the front door would dilute any real sense of connection. I would hesitate to brand that sort of existence as disconnected from reality, because I suppose that is the reality of 20th floor downtown living in Hamilton. But it seems pretty solitary to me, different than the the out-in-the-woods-alone type solitary, because in the Yukon woods, we're connected with the land and the air around us. But yes, that's the best explanation I can come up with. Nobody from outside would understand. I'll see what Jenny thinks, see if it resonates with her. I glance at my watch and realize that Quark and I have time to go for a walk in the woods before Alex gets home from school. The outdoor thermometer tells me that I don't need more wood in the stove, but I should put on my medium parka and the leather mitts. Hiking boots will do. Who knows, maybe I'll meet some nice Yukon guy walking contemplatively in the quiet, snowy woods. He'll be wearing his medium parka, and we'll discover we have many friends in common. And he'll be just the perfect match for Jenny. This has been a Timmet podcast in a series called On the Marge. Instrumental intro and exit are courtesy of Kate Weeks. If you would like more of these podcasts, check out the podcast website at timmit.ca slash podcasts. That's T-I-M-M-I-T dot C-A slash podcasts.